Miss Carly said that I could be a kid, and she gave me a crown too. Uh, would you join me in a word of prayer? Oh Lord, may the words in my mouth, may the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, in an otherwise ordinary neighborhood, on the south side of Zurich, Switzerland, uh, you can actually go and visit a restaurant where the blind lead the blind. It was about uh, six years ago, shortly after I preached a sermon about this passage uh, from John chapter 9 that you just heard, uh, that a member of my former congregation, a guy by the name of Jim Cooper, uh, came and told me about it. You see, he and his wife had visited there the summer before, and the hearing of this passage from John chapter 9 uh, made him think about that experience. And, uh, and the restaurant, if you're curious, it's called Blindeku. Uh, and it's a German word that means blind man's bluff. And it's, uh, it's a part of what's called the dark dining movement, something that I knew absolutely nothing about uh, until I started to research this restaurant. But the idea is uh, that the people who dine there actually get an experience of what it's like to be blind. What Jim tells me is that you, uh, you enter this restaurant uh, through these large, steel-studded, iron-clad doors, and that's when you find yourself in the lobby to this restaurant, and it's the only room in this restaurant that has any light. And it's here uh, in the lobby that you deposit your things, a jacket, your purse, maybe a watch, uh, but most importantly of all, Jim says, your cell phone. Uh, because its screen has the power to destroy the whole experience. See, this is when your, uh, your waiter arrives, uh, and your waiter is someone who is either blind or visually impaired, uh, and they tell you to place your hands on the person in front of you, and that's when they lead you out of the light and into the darkness. For the next few moments, you, you weave your way through this restaurant. You weave your way until your waiter finally says, stop, we found your table. And so you sit down and you begin to explore your environment and the table, it's got rounded corners, probably a safety precaution. And it's, uh, it's covered in this very fine, very smooth piece of fabric. And in front of you, uh, there's a large dinner plate and, and next to it, uh, there is a napkin and a fork, and, and when you reach out your hand to grab your glass of water, you discover not a glass of water, but a very small, very sophisticated salt shaker. You know, the whole thing, Jim says, is a, is a seriously surreal experience. At least that's not the only reason that Jim told me about it. Uh, Jim told me about it because this experience also gave him a new perspective on the blind man in today's reading. And what Jim says next, it stuck with me for the past six years. See, Jim said, at first, I couldn't see. And it seemed like a problem. But then he says, uh, as time went on, the more I didn't even notice. You know, when I think about today's reading, uh, when I think about the blind man, and even when I think about our, our own relationship with Jesus, uh, that saying seems pretty true of it. You know, at first we couldn't see. 
at first we couldn't see Jesus, and I don't know about you, but maybe that seemed like a problem. I mean, how, how do you describe someone that you've never seen before? And yet there's something about him, something about the way that Jesus touches our lives that, that maybe, just maybe, the more time passes, the more you don't even notice. See, it's with that thought in mind uh, that we turn our attention uh, to the reading you just heard. And as, as the scene opens on this scene in John chapter 9, we find ourselves just outside of Jerusalem. Uh, everyone has just celebrated uh, the festival of tabernacles. It is uh, it's the celebration that Jews would celebrate uh, every year right after the harvest. Uh, and so this is why Jesus and his disciples have gathered. But you see, if you are the blind man in today's reading, this day starts like any other. It starts in complete darkness. And so we don't know who this man is, we don't know where he's from, but what we do know is that he is often the source of all sorts of discourse. Who sinned? Jesus' disciples say to him. Was it this man? Or was it his parents? Yeah, I gotta wonder, uh, does the blind man even notice? I mean, if, uh, if this is how people often treat him, like a problem and, and not a person, does he even notice after all these years? And yet look at how Jesus responds, not to the problem, but to the person. And see, if you're the blind man in this reading, this is the thing that changes your life. I mean, you can't see Jesus, but you can hear him moving closer and closer and closer. And that's when he, he spits in the dirt and he makes some mud and he smears it on your eyes. And then he says, go, wash in the pool of Siloam. And it's really, really strange, but you got mud on your eyes. So you go and you wash and all of a sudden you can see. And your life is quite literally different. Now, I know that the blind man in today's reading experiences a miracle. But you see, it strikes me that his life is not so different from ours. I mean, just think about it. God touches our lives, too. He touches them in a metaphorical sense, but he also touches them in a literal sense. I mean, I mean he touches them in baptism. That's what happened with little Beck just a few moments ago. He touches them uh, later in the service when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And yet, all the while, just like the blind man in today's reading... We can't see Jesus. And yet Jesus, Jesus starts with the person and not with the problem. You are my beloved child. That's what God says to us in baptism, even though, even though our lives are all full of sin. You see, even like him, even though God touches our lives, it, it doesn't mean that things automatically uh, get better. And yet there's something about Jesus that just draws us through these situations. And, and what happens next in this story uh, demonstrates that fact. You see, the blind man, uh, the blind man returns home. And that's when uh, we enter into what is, uh, I like to call, part one of a three-part interrogation. Are you the same person or are you someone else? That's what the neighbors of this man say to him. And in one sense, uh, it's a very 
very reasonable question. Because you see, the blind man looks a lot like the guy that they saw yesterday. He looks a lot like this guy, except this blind man, this blind man can see. And so are you the same person or are you someone different? And for just a moment, I I want you to consider this question uh, from his perspective. Are you the same person or are you someone different? I mean, on the one hand, you might think, well, I have the same name, so maybe I'm the same person. But on the other hand, you might think, if Jesus touches my life, am I really the same person? Jesus loves me, am I really the same person? If Jesus restores my relationship with the Father, am I really the same person? And and that's why this rather innocuous question is somewhat difficult to answer. Yet I, I think, I think the blind man's answer is actually pretty helpful for us. And there's two things about it that I want you to notice. First, I want you to notice that he actually says something. Because one of the temptations we face in moments like these is to say nothing at all. I mean, there's a risk in talking about our faith. You see, the second thing I want you to notice is uh, that the blind man doesn't describe what he doesn't know. He doesn't describe how this miracle happens. All he knows is that he was blind, Jesus did something, and now he can see. And you see, when we answer questions like this, I actually think this is a pretty good place to start. And what's it like to be a Christian? Well, I was blind. I was blinded by my sin. I was blinded by my selfishness. I was blinded by my own self-interest. And God did something about it. While I was still a sinner, Jesus died for me. You see, when Paul talks about this, he actually says Christ died for us. And it's through this miracle, the miracle of Jesus' death and resurrection, the the miracle of our baptism, which we don't always completely understand, that we belong to him. And we were blind, but now we see. And so all of this uh, brings us back to the reading uh, when we discover that even though this is enough for the blind man, it's not enough for his neighbors. And so uh, his neighbors go and get the Pharisees, and this is part two of that three-part interrogation. And when the Pharisees discover what's happened, they question his judgment. What you're telling us just doesn't make sense. You're telling us that Jesus performed a miracle. Jesus performed a miracle on the Sabbath, but if he performed a miracle on the Sabbath, that means that he broke the Sabbath, and and God wouldn't let a lawbreaker perform a miracle like that. You know, we're separated from the scene by almost 2,000 years, but I think we all know what that's like, what it's like for authorities and experts uh, to question our judgment, the convictions you have just don't make sense. You see, sometimes those uh, authorities and experts, I mean, they're just plain wrong. Sometimes they've got an agenda, sometimes they're out to get us, uh, but it's not the authorities and experts that I want you to focus on in this reading. I want you to pay attention to the blind man and what it's like to respond when you don't have all the answers. 
See, sometimes we have a complete, comprehensive answer to all the questions that people ask us, but sometimes, sometimes we don't. And, and what I want to remind you is that even in those times, even when you don't have a complete or a comprehensive answer, it doesn't mean that you're just de facto in error. So sometimes, sometimes it's okay to say, you know what, I don't know. All I do know is that I was blind and now I see. You see, that leads us to, uh, to part three of the three-part interrogation. The, the Pharisees go and question this man's parents. And they ask him questions like, is this your son? And, uh, and was he blind? And how is it that he can see? And, you know, their answers, um, if, you're, if you're listening, their answers, they don't really help the Pharisees. But their answers also don't help their son. He's of age, they say. Why don't you go and ask him? And his parents aren't going to have his back. You don't have to be the man in today's reading to know what it's like when someone doesn't have your back. And, uh, and you don't have to be the man in today's reading to know what it's like when someone won't support you. And when it comes to our faith, uh, this can actually be pretty, pretty difficult. Because when the, the people you love, and when the people you trust, your family, your friends, when they don't have your back, when they, when they don't support you in your faith, it can create all sorts of challenges. And yet, it's for moments exactly like these that Jesus took on human flesh. Because Jesus understands. I mean, Jesus, Jesus has been there before, and because of that, you can know that you are never alone. Now, of all the stories uh, that we hear about Jesus uh, in the Gospels, now, this story in particular, it stands out, and it stands out uh, uh, for a reason uh, that you may or may not have noticed. You see, uh, you see, Jesus, in John chapter 9, heals the blind man in verse 7. But after he heals the blind man, for the next 28 verses, Jesus disappears. He goes absent. And so for 28 verses, the blind man in today's reading has to wrestle with the question, what does it mean to be touched by Jesus? What does it mean to be touched by Jesus when you've never seen him? And, and, and the beautiful thing about this passage, the, the, the beautiful thing is that the more that this man wrestles, the more that this man wonders, the more it almost seems like he doesn't even notice See, the first time uh, that someone asks him who did this, uh, the blind man in today's reading says, the man named Jesus did this. That's what he says to his neighbors. The second time he's asked about this, he's in front of the Pharisees, and he doesn't say the man named Jesus did this. He says that a prophet did this. 
The third time he's asked about this, he's still before the Pharisees, but now they've questioned his parents. And he doesn't say that the man named Jesus did this or a prophet did this. He says that one sent from God did this. And then the fourth and final time that he addresses this topic, he's standing before Jesus. Remember, he leaves before Jesus heals him. He regains his sight when he goes to the pool of Siloam. And so he is seeing Jesus for the very first time. And he looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, I believe. See, the beautiful thing about this man's story, the beautiful thing about our story is that the more you wrestle, the more you wonder. The fact that you can't see Jesus, it just might seem like it doesn't even matter. Because the more you wrestle, you see Jesus. Now, if you, uh, if you happen to be here uh, this morning for Bible study, uh, then uh, you also happened uh, to, uh, to learn a little bit more about a guy named John Newton. And uh, for those of you who don't know, John Newton is the guy who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, uh, the hymn that we sung uh, just a few moments ago. And, uh, and, and the fun thing about John Newton is John Newton is a man who struggled for years to see Jesus. You see, John Newton was a deserter of the British Army. Uh, for many years, he was a part of the African slave trade. And, and one biographer, when uh, he describes his life, says that, uh, that John Newton's life was so corrupt that it was unrivaled in fiction. And yet, Jesus touches John Newton's life. And the more he wrestles, the more he wonders, the more he sees Jesus. You see, he was uh, reflecting back on his life uh, when he later becomes a pastor, and he's writing a sermon uh, for New Year's Day uh, that he writes a poem. And that poem goes on to become Amazing Grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. You see, this is what Jesus' touch does in your life and in mine. And this is what Jesus' touch does in the life of little Beck in his baptism. It's the thing that gives us the power to see through the darkness so that one day when we stand before Jesus, just like the man in today's reading, we might look at him and confess, Lord, I believe. And while we may not always understand all of the details or be able to describe it, and, and while it doesn't mean that our lives automatically get better, it does mean that we have this strange ability to see through the darkness, to face everything that comes our way, and to know that just like John Newton and the blind man and all sorts of other Christians who've gone before us and who will come after us, it gives us this strange ability to know that even when we can't see Jesus, he is always with us. May God grant you that kind of confidence for his sake. Amen. Now at this time, I'd invite you